Plot twists. We are obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story that takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, super fan of cinema, sport, comedy, and I'm part of the old impression. And throughout this series, brought to you by Now and Sky, I'll be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about the plot twist moments that define their lives and careers. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems you've never heard before. Expect spoilers. So look, I have this habit sometimes of saying to guests that I've been hoping to chat to them for some time. I kind of sound like Blofeld. But it's true. It is. Honestly, I promise it's true. Joanne Frogger, my guest this week, has been on our list for some time. And finally, we've been able to chat to her. She started out on Corrie, age 16, playing Zoe. Very diverse career, theatre, film, TV. You might know her for Liar and Angela Black on ITV. And then there's the big one. Downton Abbey, where she played Anna Bates. Some incredibly difficult storylines in that show. And her performances for those storylines won her a Golden Globe. And if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, I mean, who isn't? The latest film, A New Era, is available on Sky Cinema and now with a cinema membership. So why not treat yourself to that? Now, she's back with a new series called Breathtaking on ITVX, inspired by the book by Dr. Rachel Clark, looking at a time that we're very familiar with, the beginning of the pandemic, and from the perspective of frontline healthcare staff and what they had to endure. It's a powerful watch, and if you don't know much about Dr. Rachel Clark, go and check her out on social media. She is an inspiring voice and often highlighting the stark realities of that time. Now, last week, True Detective star Jodie Foster was on the podcast. Still trying to get my head around that. She spoke around emotion, connection to a script, and the words behind it. I feel like Joanne is quite similar. She looks for complexity. She looks for deeper human stories, characters that are stretched. So it'll be very interesting to talk to her about that. Now, I first saw her in Robin Hood about 15 years ago, series three. And funnily enough, at the time we recorded this show, the night before we'd spoken to Richard Armitage, her co-star at the time. So you'll hear me mention that up front. Here is my chat with Joanne Frogger on Plot Twist. Joanne Frocker, thank you so much for coming on. We were just saying before, I say it a lot, but I truly mean it. I wanted to have you on this podcast for quite some time. And here you are. We've made it happen. So a We've big made thank it happen. You. Yay. Thank you for having um, me, Tom. I had somebody on the podcast last night, somebody that you've worked with before. Oh. So I thought I might quiz you on it. Just okay. see if you can guess who it is. Yeah. Somebody that you worked with about 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Quite a handsome chap, quite chiseled, played a bit of a baddie at the time. 15 years ago. 15 years ago. So you would have joined, I'll give you a clue, you would have joined, I think, the third series at the time. But he said, the reason why I'm bringing it up, because I said I'm speaking to you, and he said, oh my God, I'd love to work with her again. 15 years ago, I joined the first series, Robin Hood, the third uh, series. Yeah, I mean, that's not Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dark hair. Oh gosh, of course. I'm thinking, who was the baddie? Who was the baddie? Richard Armstrong. Yes, what was Rich <laughs> yeah. doing? So he, we were just chatting to him. He's got his, uh, a book out and we were just having a little bit of a chat. And then I said we were talking to you at the oh, end of the I interview. And he said, oh, I'd love to. Because we didn't really to... get to work together that much on Robin Hood. Right, we were sort of right. like, we'd sort of see each other occasionally. But yeah, we didn't get a lot of time on set together. So I'd, lo I'd love to work with him again. I listened to a lot of Richard's audio books as well as watching his work as well. I was complimenting his voice. He does, yeah. he does incre he's an incredible narrator. Mm. Yeah. He did Tattooist of Auschwitz. 
on oh, okay. air. Yeah. Oh, they're making that uh, into a TV series. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah, he does a beautiful, beautiful narration of it. So well, there you go. He wants to work with you again. Well, so well, I'm let's just, get, you know, I'm just let's get that together. Me and Richard yeah. back together on the screen. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about your new series, Breathtaking. I watched it this morning. It was quite an emotional experience actually watching it because it yeah. really conveys the themes around healthcare staff and the front line just when the pandemic's starting to build and you play a doctor as in that environment and it really encapsulates the, the emotions of that time in that environment so we've got to talk about that Thank talk you. about some plot twists yes but I've also got some random silly questions Absolutely. I say silly actually there's a mixture in here some quite nice ones so okay. so you can have a little okay. I'm interested know, to chance find to get out. to know each other you know a Absolutely. bit of back and forth so the first one is what's the best compliment you've ever received because you've had quite a few I've oh, have I? Online. Yeah, oh. there's a few. Oh, there's um, one in particular that stands out. But oh, really? what for you? What for me would be the best compliment I've ever received? Um, do you know what? Someone's saying that I'm I'm funny. I think that's probably that's my nice. favourite compliment I've received. Because for people, well, I get this. I mean, I get this quite a lot. I'm hilarious. No, <laughs> no but I've got a few people say to me, God, you're really funny. Why do you do more comedy? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, it hasn't oh, happened for a while. I do, I love comedy. But um, I do get, tend to get drawn to these sort of, you know, darker subject matters or important subject matters, should I say, and great scripts. But yeah, I, th- I take that as a, compl- as a big compliment. Have you got more than four or five friends saying you're funny? Yes. Okay, that's probably a good sign. So I'm taking that as a definite. That's a, de- that's, that's a good parameter, <laughs> yeah. So, I saw a comment about your performance, I think it was in Liar, saying it was Meryl Streep level performance. Oh, now that was a beautiful so, comment, I mean, actually. That, that I'm not actually, sure. I do remember that one. Top that. Now you've said it. And that was, um, yeah, that was probably, yeah, that's got to be up there with, with the highest compliment. Yeah, my eyes like, opened up. So yeah, that was pretty, that, that was, pretty out there. That was an incredible yeah. one. Yes, thank you yeah, to that person that was, very that was much. Um, favorite teacher? I always like this one. It's always a bit more sentimental. Somebody that may have favorite teacher. So I, you know, I was fortunate actually that I had had a few really great teachers over my school years. I mean, one that I suppose stands out in terms of what I wanted to do with my life and encouragement in the direction of drama was when I started secondary school when I was eleven. Our head teacher at Eskdale School in Whitby was called. Jonathan Bradley, and he was really passionate about drama. And he started an out-of-school drama group alongside the Theatre in the Round in Scarborough. So that was Alan Aitborn's sort of baby, if you like. And so it's for 11 to 16-year-olds, and I joined that with school, and he was just very, very supportive. And through that drama group, I learnt about the stage newspaper, which I started to get, and then I learnt about stage schools and decided that's where I wanted to go. And um, he was really, really helpful in sort of getting, helping me get my audition pieces together. And so was our drama group teacher. So that was definitely a relationship, a teacher-pupil relationship that really had a big effect on my life, actually. And they really that do. support. Yeah. 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 So I'm always very grateful. I was grateful. As soon as you said that, I did picture John Bradley from Game of Thrones. I know, and I've just worked with John Bradley as well. So I was like, hang on, not that John Bradley. Although I've had a wonderful time working with John Bradley as well. He's he's such a lovely man. (laughs) Isn't he amazing? I know, he's lovely. Um, Have you ever done something embarrassing in front of a former crush? I can think of plenty of embarrassing moments. (laughs) I'm not sure whether any of them have been in front of a, a former crush. I mean, I've had a few. One that springs to mind is... I'm quite a sleepy person and um, any, given any chance, if I'm tired in the day, I can just fall asleep. And, that's um, a gift. It, that's what people tell me. Mm. That's what people tell me. So I remember falling to sleep on a train 
sort of, you know, doing that thing where you're on your own, you're sort of lolling, you realise you're <laughs> lolling your head on some poor stranger's shoulder. Yeah. And I must have been dreaming about something. I woke up making, the, like, the weirdest sound and I kind of went... <laughs> like this and, like, shouted myself awake. I just woke up to every single person in the train carriage just, like... <laughs> Staring at me, um, that was quite embarrassing. That's yeah, I'd say yeah. that was up there. That's pretty yeah. good. That's that's one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I found some things on IMDb, some trivia. Okay, let's see. I just want to see—is is it true or not? Just say. I'll tell you, know. you. So, I mean, it said you love chocolate. But I thought, is that you, if, if they're calling that out, you must really love chocolate. I do really love chocolate. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you, you're really nodding at me. Oh okay. yeah. All right, yeah. Fair. Absolutely. In the fridge? Are we going there? No, 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 no. Oh, Can't be in the fridge. No. no, I eat chocolate every day. I do like dark chocolate. I don't like it in the fridge. I like it with a cup of tea so it melts in your mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, I like it in the fridge. Oh, no. Bit of Tony's. Yeah. Oh, no. You see, I'm a, I'm a green and black girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it Red Roofs that you went as a, yes. a theatre school? Yeah. So what... It says that Kate Winslet was there at the same time. She was there, but not at the same time. I've never uh, actually met okay. Kate. So we did go to the same school, but at, at different times. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, well, that clears that up. Interesting. Yeah. All right, well, let's come on to a plot twist question, the first one. It is about the sort of ultimate plot twist. We see them in TV and film. We have these moments that the story and narrative can change. Yeah. For you, Joanne Frogger, what would be your ultimate plot twist? Career-wise, I would say, I mean, starting my career, actually, is probably the first plot twist, actually, you know, starting an industry, getting a mm. job, and kind of you go into this and you're never really sure if you're ever going to work or how things are going to go. So I guess that would be the first one. But I think the, the first big plot twist in my career was probably, I think I've been working for like 12 or 13 years at this point. And it was just as Downton Abbey was coming out as well. The, we'd filmed the first season that was just airing. And I'd done uh, my first lead in an independent film called In Our Name. And it was a very low budget movie with a brilliant writer-director, Brian Welsh. And it was about a, um, a soldier that was come back from a tour and it was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And we ended up being nominated at the Biffers at the British Independent Film Awards and I won Best Newcomer for that role. And it was just the biggest surprise. And I think because of the timing of it, that it came when sort of Downton was coming out as well, mm. it just felt so... The recognition almost. Yeah, but it was so meaningful as well because I was so passionate about the project mm. and about the subject matter. And I suppose having worked for 12 years you know, sort of slogging away for 12 years to sort of, you know, sort of get that recognition for something that I felt so passionately about was such a beautiful moment. Mm. And I remember coming off stage and really literally having to pinch myself and thought, wow, did that actually just happen? And it was this beautiful moment where everything just sort of came together and I felt like, oh, all that hard work is mm. is paying off, yeah. you know, which was lovely. That's yeah. lovely. And I guess you probably had the five years later with the Golden Globe. And then another plot twist, yeah. yeah. That was a big plot twist. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to... In, yeah. yeah, I was fortunate to win the Golden Globe for supporting actress for Downton. And, again, it was just so unexpected. I was so, so thrilled to be nominated. And I just had no thought whatsoever that I would be the one collecting that award that night. So I was actually quite relaxed. And I'd been through the experience of being nominated for an Emmy uh, through Downton uh, the year before. 
And so that was very nerve-wracking and wonderful and exciting. But I just thought, oh, okay, just enjoy it, you know. It's just enjoy the night. And then... Um, That's the mindset to be in, right? It feels... You just, it is. You just enjoy the yeah. moment a little bit more. And it yeah. really is like it's such an accolade to <clears throat> be able to be there in that, mm. you know, in that situation in the first place. And I think I was so surprised that when they said my name, I just was, I was clapping because I didn't hear it. I just was thinking, oh, and then I was like, oh my goodness, that was my name. That was my name. So yeah, it was a huge surprise. But again, what was so beautiful about it was there was something I really, really wanted to say after receiving um, some letters from people that had been through similar experiences to my character had done in that season, which was sexual assault. Mm. And I'd done, I'd really sort of done the publicity for the show for that season and after doing that and after the show airing, I received some, you know, a small amount of letters, all from women, it happened to be, that had been through rape or sexual assault and they were candid with their experiences. And one woman wow. had said to me, I, I'm not sure why I'm writing to you, I suppose in just way, in, in some way I just want to be heard. And it stuck with me so deeply those words mm. and I just, I remember reading it thinking, if I ever get the chance to say that publicly in any appropriate situation I want to repeat those words mm. and so the Golden Globe speech that came to me and I thought that's the time to, to do it. that's the mm. time to say it so I said you know I hope that you know I heard you and I hope saying this so publicly means you feel and other people feel that the world has heard you and so it was again a mixture of obviously such like a, a wonderful personal achievement but for something I felt so emotionally attached to yeah, it was an incredible, it was an incredible plot twist. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say to you, like, are the awards on your radar like that? Do you think about them? Because obviously it's a lovely thing to to have. And then the experience on set and the camaraderie, the rapport you have everyone. But then to have something so personal come in like that, as almost additional feedback and almost a thank you for bringing this to light in a different, that must be so meaningful. It is. I mean, it really is. And it just, you know, we're, I'm, I always feel so fortunate that, I do something I love so much. And I am very much drawn to issue-led drama because I'm passionate about mm. what I do and I'm, I'm passionate about telling stories. And if they're written really, really well, I feel a real you know, urge to, to sort of give them a voice in some way. So they always add, that always adds an extra layer of responsibility for, for myself, I feel. And also, you know, obviously importance because... From the very first time early in my career, I acted a storyline that was very sensitive. I remember just going to bed at night thinking people at home are going to be watching this that have been through this, this similar situation. And all I want them to know is that I have given my all in trying to express mm -hmm. the emotions to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. I think you do that. Thank you. Well, and that's that state, you know, that stays with me. But, mm. you know, it's, it's a, I guess it's a strange job, isn't it, that I'm in an industry that does give awards and accolades and mm. really the people that really deserve them are the people, are the people who yeah are the yeah. people who kind of save yeah. lives every day yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so I always think it's a it's mm. a sort of strange world at that part of it sometimes was acting always the, the goal because you're going to theatre school at 13 would suggest that, that you were pretty locked in from a young age yes yeah it's all I ever remember wanting to do since yeah, since I was tiny and I grew up on a farm in this North Yorkshire. Farm. Yes, sheep yeah. farm. None of my family were in the business, but my parents always sort of taught my brother and I to have a go at anything in life. You know, mm. you have one life, give it a shot. So 
yeah, so that's what I did. And I used to watch a lot of movies with my brother, who's four years older. Is and this where, sorry for busting in, but is this where you would be performing next to the television? Yes. Making him believe that you were I used to try in the show as well? Yeah, I used to sort of like <laughs> act in front of the television, inverted commas, kind of at the age of like two and three, pretending I, I was in the TV. That, yeah, and um, thinking he'd believe that I was in the TV. Luckily, you know, I've grown up a little bit since then. But um, we, we say that, but Richard Armitage was saying how he loves the magic of when you're a child, when you, your imagination runs wild and you believe anything is possible. Yeah. And actually in acting later on, you can convey some of that to an extent. Well, it's there true. Is something in that. It is, you know, it, it's play. It's imaginative play, yeah. really. And that's why some children, when they're on set, if it's something they're enjoying, you know, sometimes when you work with children and it's their first job... If you make it fun and you make it play, and obviously they have to, you know, there's times you have to focus and depending mm. on the age of the child, sometimes it's easier than others. But it is just kind of tapping into that and helping them tap into that just imagination. And that's that's what it is. You're imagining you're in this scenario. Mm. You're imagining you are this person that you've built in your head and you put yourself in that position. You, you sort of make the emotions real, but mm. it's all about kind of the imagination, really. Yeah, I can think of experiences when I was five or six and it, I can put myself in that mindset of believing these things were possible. And obviously you look back now and you think, well, utterly bonkers. But that's that's where but you, that's kind of knocked out of us as we yeah. age. And it's actually Maybe a real shame be. because, mm. there's you know, there's something really beautiful in that. And I think that's why meditation's so healthy for mm. your brain and stuff, because you, you're kind of you're not inputting, you're just sort of letting your brain do its thing in a, yeah. in a waking state. And there's something about daydreaming, imagination, you know, all that stuff mm. that it, it. I feel like for me, it's kind of, it's good for my brain as well. Yeah. I like enjoy we it. Like you before with going to Australia, there's almost an escapism that's yeah. kind of loosely attached to that sort of similar line of yeah, thought. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've got a few more randoms for you. Okay. I thought I'd chuck a few more in there. Yep. What sound would instantly melt your heart? Oh, um, baby's laughing. That's okay. I literally, this weekend, it was my goddaughter's baptism. Yeah. And I do this silly thing where I say her name to her and she just giggles. Yeah. It was. It's yeah. the most beautiful it's, sound. Oh, in the world. it's amazing. Yeah. It's a so real infectious. giggle. Like, just, yeah. it's just so innocent and like real and yeah. Yeah. Well, we're on the same page with that. I like that. Is there something about you that may surprise fans? Is there something that they would be surprised to know about you that. I'm scared of spiders and I can't ride a bike very well. Oh, okay. I've only just sort of learned to ride a bike. Yeah. So at the age of, well, 43 now, but 42, <laughs> I kind of finally sort of learned to ride a bike. Did yes, you enjoy I, it? I did. I'm going to yeah. practice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the show then, Breathtaking, based on Rachel Clark's book that came out um it, i mean it is focused primarily on the pandemic isn't it and the experiences of yes so frontline. yeah so it's based on rachel clark's memoir and rachel's a consultant doctor working in the nhs and she's, incredible. she's an incredible woman and well worth following on social media she's just so insightful intelligent and tells it like it is and tells it like it is emotionally intelligent she's written some incredible books she's written three books two of which I've read, Breathtaking, obviously, and then another, her previous book, Dear Life, which is all about her experiences as a palliative care doctor. I'll talk about that maybe a bit more later because it's um, a really, it really redefined how I thought about death when I read that book. It's incredible, incredible view on life, actually. And had, had you read the book? Was that something that you chose to just 
you know, your own choice? Well, was it something that came when Breathtaking came along, I obviously wanted to read Rachel's book that it was based on, and mm. we've built a fictional character and it's based on the experiences in Rachel's book but we did a fictional character my character's called Abby and that's to be able to incorporate different doctors and healthcare workers experiences during the pandemic so every situation in our story is based on a real situation that actually happened it's three parts and it's very much it's really what was happening behind the closed doors of the hospitals so it's not just a covid story it's not it's not as just retelling covid that we all lived through and obviously had our own very personal and very different and deep experiences mm. with it's a human but story though right it's a human story and it's it's the story of what was really happening with ppe what was really happening with testing what was really happening with discharges to care homes what was really happening to the frontline nhs workers and how the story we were being told as the public and as public that didn't have hands-on experience inside the hospitals differed from what they were really put through Drastic. on the front line. Drastically mm. differed. Mm. And I'm, I hope that this goes a small way into sort of setting that story straight. And it's written by, the script's written by Rachel Jed Mercurio, who's obviously a prolific, brilliant writer, who also was a doctor in his early career, and Prasanna Puanaraja, who was also a doctor in his mm. early career. So three doctors, one one current doctor, and um, some real heavyweight drama writing behind that as well. And it's one of the most, it was one of the most incredible scripts and I, I've ever read. And reading it, I just, I, I cried reading it. And I don't think that's ever happened to me. I don't think I've actually just shed a tear just mm. from reading a script. It was a profound experience to be a part of it. Yeah, so. Well, I said to you watching it before, it's raw, it's it's chaotic. You kind of feel the emotions that, that the staff were going through. Yeah. Which I guess is part of maybe the education of the show that you want people to see that. I mean, we're three and a half years on and it life's, I suppose there is an air of normality now compared to, to then. But yeah. It's about making sure that that, we don't forget that. Yeah, exactly. And Craig Viveris, our director, just did an incredible job. He's an incredibly talented director. And his vision for it was to make it, he was like, no performance, you know, we're just going to strip everything back. We want it to be so real. We want it to be hopefully the most realistic interpretation of a medical setting that we can possibly achieve. Mm. And he did that with the style of how we shot, you know, it wasn't sort of separate shots all lit separately it was very much scenes running together the hectic nature keeping the well, energy that, of because right? that is what they mm. were what they were going through and it also serves as a as this uh, just as the story unfolds it's it's basically you know my character sort of with what she experiences and what she goes through during those that pandemic first year of the pandemic she then comes out as a whistleblower, if you like, to kind of try and set the record straight. Mm. And in a way, that's what Rachel's done in a much more sort of subtle way with her book. And, you know, she and lots of people that I met through the experience of doing this show want to put the record straight a little bit for those frontline workers and mm. say, you know, obviously with everything else that's happening at the moment with pay and strikes and everything else i think how easily we forget you know from being on our doorsteps you know clapping nhs workers mm. how easily the government seemed to have forgotten what they sacrificed i could not, I could not agree more. in some cases their lives mm. you know it's mm. like some people gave the ultimate sacrifice and i think it's important we we never forget that i couldn't agree more 
it almost felt in some instances it was almost like preparing for war yeah it, re it, it really felt like that like yeah. you know the the chaotic nature of it and what you know your character conveys it also physically not just in terms of the script yeah. but what is coming what is building and this realization it was it, you captured it amazingly i've got to say thank you um and that was very much what we wanted to sort of do and, and again what craig our director wanted to do with the sort of feel of the show make it almost like a war film and, and lots of NHS workers that I spoke to, we had incredible medical advisors on the show who were all frontline pandemic during the pandemic. And they all said it was, it was like doing field medicine. It became like you were in a war yeah, zone yeah. and that's what you were doing. And some people's view would be, oh, well, you know, you sign up to be a doctor. That's what you sign up to help people. But you don't necessarily sign up to be a doctor or a nurse or, a, or an HCA and sign up to risk your life. You know, but on also, the front line. Well, yeah, but also not having the correct PPE, having PPE exactly. that's four years out of date. In one of the first scenes, you have a patient who's basically in a cupboard because there isn't space yep. in in some of the other units. I mean, it's just, yeah, it was quite quite frightening actually. Yeah, in some instances. And I think you know, it does hopefully go some way in showing you know the absolute obscene pressures that the NHS was yes. under even before the pandemic, mm. and then how they've managed to get through the other side in any way still functioning is incredible really and i think we owe them a great Huge debt, debt. Mm. and you know i think uh, without getting too political about it i think we need to do a lot more to support them i couldn't agree more and that, that was the thing that stood out also the guidance yeah. that was coming through and yet it was so evident what was happening yeah that it makes you feel a little bit angry I must yeah say. it mm. does and it, it made me angry you know mm. sort of f learning learning about all these situations that we put into the show and um obviously some things you sort of as a member of the public you sort of got an inkling about but the reality is just shocking actually really mm. really shocking and these people went and risked their lives every day to keep us safe and and also at the point of not really knowing what this thing was exactly because we had that period i think it starts what third of march up yeah. until day of lockdown in that first episode yeah we we don't know what this thing is we we and obviously we're seeing these people come in their symptoms are really quite drastic and going into itu and so on yeah it's quite scary yeah a lot of frontline workers that we spoke to said you know those first cases felt like ebola because it felt like something off a movie it felt like contagion it, and that's yeah. what it was that's that that was their lived experience and they put their self in that place every day and lots of people living away from their families to keep their families safe you know like just the absolute physical exhaustion never mind the mm. emotional toil of being away from your loved ones and having to deal with so much death and pain and also at such huge risk to yourself yeah i think it's just good that you know we all remind ourselves of that i couldn't agree more i can see i can see your passion for it yeah <laughs> um so talking of passion when you do something like Downton, which is this huge hit, and I love the fact that it's so popular in the US as well, yes. you know, that's incredible. When you do something like that and you get the recognition with the Golden Globe, you must have a lot of options available to you in terms of what you can do. How do you then sort of navigate through that to think that's the one I want to do? Is it something that just hits you in your core by reading through it, like breathtaking? What's Yeah, it is really. I think it always comes down to script first for me. You know, I'll start reading something and if it grips me, if it's a page turner, I'm in, you know, and if it's not, it's not. Mm. And it's really as simple as that, you know, it's all in the story. And I am drawn to, 
I suppose, in-depth stories, in-depth characters, complex characters or complex situations. But they're interesting to me because life is complex mm. and human beings just are, are complex. We're complex beings and I'm fascinated by human behaviour and... We how, like provocative, don't we? we like, yeah, but we also, like, you know, how some people get through certain situations, yeah. why some people behave in a certain way, like what makes that person tick? What? How would I behave in that situation? How would I cope with this? How would I... And I suppose, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly fascinated by those questions. So anything that kind of piques that mm. interest in me is, is definitely something that I'm drawn to. But it can be, it can be any kind of genre of scripts it just basically comes down to story she wants to do a comedy guys can we, can we please <laughs> comedy next. Can comedy somebody next. please send <laughs> joanne frocker a comedy script <laughs> um i come on to another plot twist question okay so this is a plot twist person so this mm-hmm. is somebody that perhaps has surprisingly come into into your life and been a, a force for good yeah i imagine there's been quite a few but is it if you could narrow it down to one or a couple who yes who might stand out there has been quite a few, but I I think it's got to be John Grant, my agent. So John and I started working together when I was 18. He saw me on a show on the TV and sort of came to me and said, did I have an agent? And I didn't. And the casting director of that show kind of, it was Coronation Street, the casting director of that show, I was about to leave. You did quite a few episodes, you were there for... Yeah, I was was sort of a child, yeah, Yeah. 18 months, sort of. So so I did from 16 and then I left when I was 18, sort of on and off. So that was a bit like my drama school. Oh my goodness, yes, it was. So I remember I was looking for an agent, I was about to start looking for an agent. And uh, Judy Hayfield, who was actually a wonderful lady who was casting uh, there at the time, said to me, oh, you know, I'm not really allowed to recommend anyone, but sort of nodded and said, John, you know, it'd be nice for you to meet John. And I was like, okay, great, sort of wide-eyed... And I met with John and he really just had such an incredible passion for me and really led me through those early years of my career. And, you know, I was out of work when I sort of got with him. And so it was it was very much down to him to sort of, you know, lay the groundwork for my career as an adult and sort of guide me in those first couple of years when I was sort of 18, 18 to 20, new into the industry. Mm not really knowing what to do or where to go or how to how to get there. We've always had the same taste. He's always had my sort of longevity of career in mind. You know, he was never, you know, let's just do this and make some money. It was always mm. like, well, you know, let's let's put you in some theatre. Yeah. Let's get you doing this. Let's get you on stage. You know, let's do this. Let's really broaden those horizons. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's just been an incredibly positive influence on my career and my life really we're still you know we're that. still working together so the value of long-term thinking there we go there it is yeah because i suppose then years later when you do apply for different roles more high exposure having that background of different whether it is theater doing this series one-off appearances all of that's going to amalgamate and actually help for that audition that process it does because it's great experience to obviously play different characters and and John was great you know the first few years we worked together I was really fortunate and did some fantastic dramas and played lots of different kind of characters different accents and really carried on learning my craft and although you're doing it in a public space you're not doing it at drama school it was still incredible to have that guidance and to have that push to get me onto stage and to do theatre and to you know to sort of do to spread my wings and see what I was capable of 
and believe that I was capable of all of those things was incredible to have that person behind me, having mm. that belief in me. And then, you know, eventually that belief came to me in myself as well. So, yeah, it really does stand you in good stead for for future. And I think when I became a bit more well-known for the work I was doing, say when Downton became so successful, I'd already been working for, you know, 12, 13 years at that point. So I was sort of seen as an actor, not just that role. Mm -hmm. So that was also a really nice sort of time for that to happen because I felt like I had earned my stripes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd, you know, I'd had that many years of experience. You've been Kate and Robin Hood. I mean, you don't. Know. <laughs> exactly. I mean. <laughs> no, it's because I like that series. That's why. There are quite a few people on from the... Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. No, it was great fun. Yeah. It was great fun. Were you in, the, you were in Hungary, weren't you, for quite a bit? Yeah, in Budapest. Time. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. So we did seven months in Budapest filming. Yeah, okay. I just did the last series. But yeah, it was great fun. It was such a great group of, group of people. It was a really yeah, lovely time. Yeah, it was quite time. a physical role, actually. Yeah, it was but good. Talk about different roles like that. What, where do you get the most thrill? What's the biggest buzz? If Because there's obviously the live audience of, of theatre, but then there's a big series, the big releases that you, you've done many of now. What, where, where do you get the sort of bigger sense of excitement? That's a good question. It's different, really. I mean, there's, there is something so special about sort of being on stage and literally feeling the energy in the room shift with the story. And you can feel it you know you mm. can it's almost like you can cut through the energy with a knife it's like it's such a powerful sort of experience so it's a very individual experience in in that way mm. and something very beautiful but I do love the process of filming because it's what I started doing first and what I love about filming whether it be on film or television is that depending on you know the camera shot depending on how close the camera is you can just think something and it will come across. So that's what I always sort of go back to. And that's what I sort of went back to a lot in Breathtaking, where I didn't want to sort of give a performance. I wanted to just, like, try and live this mm. experience to the, the, the best I, of my ability and just sort of try to keep the faith that if I'm thinking it, it will come across. And I wanted it to be that subtle. And I find that actually quite a beautiful way to work as well because I like the subtlety of that whereas mm. obviously on stage you can't do that because no one can see what you're doing yeah. you have to sort of it's a slightly different thing but yeah so I don't know there's yeah there's excitement in all of it I think I suppose the best part is is if you do if you're lucky enough to do a show that people really connect with and you know it's either brought them joy or it's brought them an emotional experience in some way mm. or it's brought them to think about a subject matter that they may not have done and if you, you know, the few times you get that feedback from people, that's probably the most special part, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Do you have a pre-game ritual? Is there anything you do to kind of like psych yourself up? Anything? Not really. Not specifically. I do have a bit of a thing about when I put my costume on and I take my costume off. Okay. So it's a little bit like I'll kind of go into makeup and I'm, you know, thinking about the day. And I always go over my lines in makeup when I'm filming and, you know, go over the day and just sort of start to get my self subconsciously prepared for the day and then when I come out of makeup we usually have a laugh and a giggle in makeup and then when I come out of makeup it's like quick breakfast get changed and I sort of once I put the costume on I kind of go right she's on yeah. whichever character <laughs> I'm playing yeah. and I don't stay in character consistently all day depending on what scenes I'm doing obviously if they're very emotional scenes they take a great deal of concentration mm. and I'm much more sort of like focused on on that specific scene for for a longer period of time but um and then, again, when I take my costume off at the end of the day, I try and take the character off and leave her there and pick her up in the morning. Yeah. It doesn't always work. but It's like a good balance. Yeah. I still yeah. sometimes have a few dreams about them and stuff. But 
but yeah, so that's. Do you like, dream in character, or are you dreaming just about them? I do dream about work a lot when I'm working. Okay. Yeah, especially if I'm the lead, and you know, you're you're spending most of your waking hours on mm. set, or thinking about the character, or learning lines. You know, so your brain is completely oh, absorbed wise, by right? it. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's kind of natural that you would dream about it because that's you processing your day. Mm. But um, yeah, I had a, a breathtaking. Yeah, especially I had a lot of dreams when I was. On that, I remember because we were learning our um, with the, the lines as well. Like, how how was that process? Learning all the different sort of medical terms. Yeah, it's quite. It a, yeah, it's it's it, yeah, tricky. Was yes, there was lots tough. of WhatsApps to our medical advisors going, "Have I got this right?" Did, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you want to do it justice, of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. We wanted to, obviously to be mm-hmm. as realistic as possible, but we were having lessons about taking PPE on and off in the correct way to do it. And I remember waking up in the night and I was like pulling at the t- my t- vest that I was wearing trying to like take my PPE off in the night and I was like okay I'm definitely <laughs> fully fully committed to this yeah. role now so no one can question the commitment yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean just going back to that what what do you think for you obviously being more immersed in in the story and then performing it in, in such a way what was probably the most sort of surprising or shocking thing for breathtaking yeah the relentlessness mm. I think of not for me, for them. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Of course. How utterly relentless it must have been. Mm. You know, well, I said just... to you before, didn't I? I said like the last two weeks, a little bit stressful. And then I watched that, and I'm like, let's put it into perspective, Tom. Yeah. Let's be, let's be realistic here. You yeah, know? yeah. And so level. any day on set that someone sort of said, "Oh, you must be so tired," I, I thought, you know, what? Yeah, you I'm can't. not actually yeah. doing this for real. This yeah. is like. I, I will mm. never say anything and will yeah, not yeah, moan yeah. once about anything because what I'm trying to express is I cannot I cannot imagine the full amount of exhaustion that people must have felt mm. working on the front line and emotionally, physically. You kind of feel it watching it, which I think is a compliment to what you're probably trying to Yeah, portray. we wanted to do it, you know, yeah. sort of mm. no makeup, all, you know, yeah, all yeah. the things mm. to totally, totally stripped back, totally mm. as realistic as possible. So, yeah. That's what sort of hit home with me a lot. How just utterly relentless the whole, the whole experience must have mm. been. You know. Well, you did a great job in conveying that. It is very, very powerful. Thank you. I want to talk. So you have your own production company. Yes. I'm interested to know about that. What, where did that come from, and what's the what's the ambition of doing that? Because I think yes, I guess more stars are starting to do that, so they can sort of convey their own stories and yeah. be more part of the scripting process and. Is it, was that part of the ambition for you? Yeah, definitely. So my company's called Insight Pictures. And absolutely, it's just to sort of have a sort of more of official vehicle to be able to develop projects and either co-produce or develop with other companies or on my own. There's a, a project of my own that I'm developing called Love to Tell the Tale. And it's based on a single woman's quest for motherhood. So we're developing that at the moment. I've got another two projects that I'm developing in conjunction with another two companies so it's basically I think after working in the industry for goodness like 27 years now you naturally you were very young (laughs) I was very I was a baby baby well you Um, were right I I was I was a child when I started so you know you you obviously you learn a lot over that Mm. that time and and I have I do have faith in my taste I have faith in the scripts I choose and I want to have sort of more input into those from the early stages and I feel like you know after doing anything for that length of time you of course gain so much knowledge and Mm. it's lovely to be able to sort of put that into practice from the start and not just sort of come in later on and to be able to weave in 
storylines and themes and mm. the look of something and put, help put a team together and all of those things I find really, really exciting. A few more strings to bow. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> what about your life away from away from work? I mean, it sounds like you get very immersed in it, which is amazing. Yes. But what about life away from now? Well, how does that look like? What are your what are the, what are the passions? What are the hobbies away? You know what I think. I mean, obviously um, you're a comedian to your friends. Aside, oh yes, aside from obviously stand up yeah. comedy, just yeah. just within my friendship group. Um, Fringe next year, I can see it. <laughs> no, it'd be awful. That would be awful. <laughs> I'd be terrified. I'd never ever want to do that. Would that be scary? The stand up comedy, not the fringe. The fringe yeah, would yeah, be great, yeah, but yeah. not stand up comedy. Do you know, I just live a very kind of quiet, normal life, really. I love all the normal things that people love to do. I just love spending time with the people I love. You know, I like to go to the gym. I'm, there's always something going on with work. But I just like everyone. I just like to sort of find that life-work balance. And the nice thing, actually, about what I do is that, you know, you have these sort of very intense periods where all your focus is on your work. But it's only for a set amount of time. It's mm. only for the length of the job. So you don't work that intensely, you know, constantly for 12 months of the year. So I do Thank get God. time out, yeah. you know, in between to sort of live my life. And, mm. and yeah, just I love being at home. I love, you know, I love traveling. I love seeing the people, spending time with the people I love. I go to the gym. Going to start learning to ride a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm a bit all or nothing. So yeah. in work projects, get very immersed into it. And then it's done. It's a bit like, oh, gosh, what do I do in my life? Oh, yeah. There's always that adjustment afterwards yeah. that you're like, oh, what did I do before I did this job? Yeah. Like before I finished this job. How do job? I coordinate? How yeah. do I function? Now I've yeah. got to go back to like doing adulting. And like, it's really, you're just kind of like, oh, gosh, this is a pile of posts that needs opening and this needs doing. And it's back to reality. I'm not good at that bit. Yeah. I don't, like I don't think anyone bit. enjoys that bit so much yeah. today. It's got to be done, though. Yeah. But yeah. Am I the people that are just so sort of locked in and they can just sort of. Yeah. They can do that. Or just be across multiple projects. Yeah. 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 See, if I go to the gym and I'm dedicated and I do that, great. But something else is going to be compromised. Yeah. I'm a bit you know? all or nothing as well. Yeah. I, so I kind of go through phases where I'm, yeah, like, oh, I'm into being really healthy and I'm going to the gym mm. and then I'll go through phases where that just goes out of the window. And... Yeah. I've kind of forgotten about that for a while. I'm glad, I'm glad we can relate there. That's good. I've, I've loved having you on. I said to you at the beginning, I wanted to have you on for some time. So it's oh, been a pleasure you. chatting. Thank you for good having me. Good luck with the new series. I hope it really does resonate. Thank you. Um, and I'm sure it will. And uh, we can catch up soon. Thank you, Tom. So there we are, Joan Frogger. Big thank you to her. Really enjoyed that chat. Very interesting how she delves into her characters, particularly with breathtaking. And you may be wondering, is that a little bit soon to talk about the pandemic? But actually, it's powerful because it's not the story that most of us experienced. And it's important to tell, particularly as it wasn't always the story that we were told. It's, it's a show about service, gratitude and sacrifice. And that's so important. She spoke about how she gets into roles, goes into hair and makeup. I wouldn't say she's quite method, but she certainly inhabits that emotion on set. But you also felt with her personality, she's kind of breezy. So she can kind of delve into the character and then come off set and just be back to her normal Joanna. She probably needs that given the sort of titles that she goes in for that do have a little bit more meaning and can be a little bit deeper. But, you know, we spoke about comedy. She thinks she's a bit of a comedian. So at some point down the line, I would like to see her in a comedy. 
I'd go and watch that. Big thank you to Joanne again. Breathtaking is on ITVX in three parts. If you're a big fan of the Downton franchise, A New Era, the latest film, it's on Sky Cinema. It's on now with the Cinema Pass. Do go and watch that. You'll enjoy that. And next week, I'm talking to the young, exciting British actor, Nicholas Galatzine, to talk about Mary and George, his new Sky original show, Opposite Julianne Moore. It is provocative. It is gripping. It is raunchy. A lot to uncover. Looking forward to that. Go and watch the trailer. I doubt it will disappoint. And until then, ciao, guys. Ciao, guys.